Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everyone. Rick Thomas here. Thank you so much for joining me for Life Over Coffee. Check out our coffee shop at lifeovercoffee.com, and you will be quite pleased to find more resources than you can consume in five years. We have thousands of resources on sanctification, so if you have marriage issues, parenting issues, personal issues, decisions to make, situational challenges, addictions, you want to learn how to disciple, how to counsel someone, we have all of that stuff there, including overcoming cynicism and fear and self-sufficiency. It goes on and on. Check out our coffee shop, lifeovercoffee.com. I am in the middle of a book. It's a free ebook in our store called Help My Marriage Has Grown Cold. This here is chapter five. I've titled it The Self-Sufficient Soul. What we're doing here is that we are exploring Mabel. We heard about her problem in chapter one got into her theology in chapter 2, and then we've been exploring how she is. her skewed theology has led to a a life of self-sufficiency to where she's manipulating things to get what she wants rather than trusting in God. And because we have been exploring her theology, we're going to continue in it because now I'm going to put a lot of brushstrokes on the canvas to see specifically how her distortion of theology Theology has led to what I am calling a self-sufficient lifestyle, meaning that if I'm not going to trust God, which she has not, then, well, I can only trust myself, and we're going to see that come through in this particular chapter. Be sure to read all five chapters up to this point. There are nine altogether, and again, the best thing to do would be to just download the entire ebook from our store, Help. My marriage has grown cold. In these uh, uh, podcasts and the video productions that I'm doing here, I am giving a lot more commentary. And so you want to remember that, that you can just do a straight read of the book, but you'll get a whole lot more information because I am doing some extrapolating, some explanations as I work through each chapter. And so just keep that in mind as you share this resource with others. This would be an outstanding counseling tool to help any biblical counselor to grow uh, in their skill, any disciple maker, this would be a great study in a, a, a church setting or a parachurch organization where they do the work of helping people. And so we're chapter five. Again, I titled it The Self-Sufficient Soul, so let's get into it. Once Mabel began to understand the gospel in her orthopraxy, now that was chapter four, start with the gospel, the title of that chapter, which flows out of our theology. And so we have a theological substructure, and then the gospel, the person and work of Christ flows out of that. The imitatable gospel is what we have here. And so she began to understand that the gospel is more than the good news. The gospel is more than what it means to my salvation essential, but the gospel is also for my progressive sanctification too. And so I began to walk her through how she should respond to the gospel, how she should respond to Christ. The gospel is God's most extravagant outpouring of his love to the world. Christ came to save sinners. God could not communicate his love for us in a more profound way than giving us his dearly beloved son. And 
so there is nothing more vital to us. There's no better way to communicate for the Father to communicate or anything that he could have done to prove his love but to execute his Son on the cross. The gospel is God's final and complete answer to the question, Is God good? And that is the question that I was exploring in chapter 1 because Mabel had a misunderstanding of good. She, she did not really understand what Paul was saying in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good. And because of her distortion of good, it was single-sided, meaning uh, that Good things, according to my preferences, are always going to happen to me. And she did not have a comprehensive understanding of good. Sometimes good means Moses has got to wander around in the desert. Joseph has got to spend the rest of his life in Egypt. Esther needs to step up to the plate for such a season as this. Job has to go through traumatic suffering, and Christ has to die on the cross. And it is the gospel, God's final and complete answer to the question, is God good? He is good. He is profoundly good. Unfortunately, though Mabel told me that God is good, there was an objective disconnect between what she knew to be accurate and how she lived that truth out in her life. That's why I wanted to dig deep into her theology in the early stages of the counseling process, because she did not practicalize the gospel, speaking of God's goodness specifically, in her day-to-day -day deportment. Her affection for Christ has been sporadic during the good seasons and, and really non-existent during the bad seasons. And my desire here is not to be harsh toward Mabel when you understand what she's going through and why she came to counseling. But the primary reason she came to counseling is not because of Biff's pornography. I mean, that was the impetus, but God had other motives. And as we get underneath the hood of Mabel's life, we're going to see how what Biff was doing, as awful as it is, as devastating as a porn addiction is, that is the impetus that God is using so that Mabel can experience the deeper work of the Lord in her life. She had not experienced God's goodness daily because of her gospel disconnect, and this consequence led her to find her version of good through mutual need meeting, which I have explored in chapters 3 and 4. And so rather than trusting and resting in the awareness that God is good, she trusted and rested in her ability to find what she thought was good, which led her to make an awful decision, marriage. And so the concern now is that we can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. And so was that the concern now was that she would make another terrible decision in her endless craving for what she believed to be good. And so I wanted to see her understand these things so that we could stem the tide because, well, if you messed up back then because of your distorted theology, we really need to get down and change, make these changes in how you think about God and how you apply the gospel to your life so that you don't keep doing this ad in and so my goal was to reorient her thinking about God and to teach her how to live out this new way of thinking in her everyday life. I illustrated it to her like this. Several years ago, I used our then two-year-old son 
a long time ago, as a prop in a church meeting. We did not rehearse the illustration. It wasn't spontaneous, but I just did not tell him uh, what I was going to do that day. So he had no idea that he would be the day's illustration. And so I placed our son on the communion table at the front of the room. I stepped away from him and the table, and I asked him to jump into my arms. He did. And I caught him. Then I placed him back on the table, and I asked him to jump into my arms again. He did. I caught him again. Our son was exercising faith in his daddy. He was looking right at me. I was the object of his faith. He trusted me. He knew that this would turn out okay because his daddy was there and his daddy would catch him. Now, if he tried that today, that would not, that would not work. I would collapse under the weight of him jumping in my arms. But back then, the illustration was excellent, and we concluded that our son knows, one, who I am. And he has experienced goodness from me, and he was willing to trust me based on his understanding of who I am and experience of me in his life. And so using this analogy to think about our relationship with God, we can conclude these three things. One, theology gives us a basic understanding of who our Heavenly Father is. And that is why I wanted to spend time in Mabel's theology, theology proper, her understanding of God, because there was something wrong foundationally. And so theology gives us a basic understanding of who God is. In the illustration, our son had a basic understanding of who I was, and it was sound. Number two, the gospel communicates to us profoundly that the, the goodness of our father. Well, our son had experienced my goodness multiple times, and so he knew that I was good, and he knew who I was, and so that led to point number three, Our willingness to trust our Father during a time of testing based on two things, our understanding of Him, our theology, and our experience of Him, the gospel, or Christ specifically. And because of our sound theology and because we have experienced Christ, we know that we can trust Him. We know that He will do good even if He sends us around the wilderness. Now, let's invert the illustration. What if our son had not exercised faith by not jumping into my arms? Well, if he had done that, besides being personally embarrassed by him not jumping into my arms, I would then have to ask, son, why didn't you have faith in your father? Now, that is the question, and that is the question that we have to ask Mabel. Mabel is self-sufficient, self-reliant. She is not trusting the Lord. She is rolling through the red lights, knocking over the construction barrels, making her way down to the altar. She is doing it herself. She's relying on herself, even though she has this quasi-faith that is genuine but not transformative. And so because she is not relying on the Lord, like our son, let's say he did not jump off that communion table and did not trust me, then I would have to ask him the same question that I would ask Mabel. There are three reasons a person will not trust God. I call these the faith killers, and we will explore these three in the next chapter, chapter number six. 
but I'll give them to you now. He would not exercise faith in me if he were angry at me. He would stand on that communion table and he'd say, I am angry at you. Well, if so, he's going to stand there with his arms crossed and he's not going to jump off the table. Anger will defeat faith. If you're angry with the person that you are supposed to trust, you're not going to trust the person because you're angry with them. I'm going to make a case that Mabel is angry with God. Now, she's going to say that clearly in just a moment. And that's one of the things that you need to know, that when you are counseling someone, the important questions that you have, you already have the answers to. The things that I'm working through here, I already knew several counseling sessions ago, but I've never said this. I'm working her to the place of understanding. It's usually not helpful to tell someone the answers of what's going on in their lives. You want them to discover it. For those of you who have done homeschooling, you probably have experienced this. You can tell your children 2 plus 2 equals 4, or you can let them work it out. Let them discover it themselves. And this is what you want in counseling as much as you can pull that off. Well, I knew these answers and I knew these struggles were deep inside of Mabel, but I wanted her to come to the place of discovery. And as I quote her her in just a moment, you'll see that she did exactly that. But the question for now is, if you don't jump off the communion table, you're going to rely on yourself. Why would you do that? Well, I would not exercise faith in you if I were angry at you. I would not exercise faith in you if I were afraid of you. And so our son would stand on the communion table. It's like, I'm not sure you can do this. I'm not sure you're going to pull this off. I am afraid. I fear. I'm angry at you. I'm afraid of you. And then number three, I would not exercise faith in you if if I did not know who you were. If I were unaware of you, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so anger and being afraid and being unaware or ignorant, all three of those things would crush a person's faith. And this illustration describes Mabel to a T. This is her core problem. You see, Mabel tends to fear more than trust. She is afraid. A fear will trump faith. And so she tends to fear more than trust. And when fear is ruling her heart, she would not exercise faith in God. She would not jump off the communion table, but she would choose to take matters into her own hands or what we would call self-sufficiency. And this pattern became increasingly evident as I began to probe her with more questions about other issues in her life. You could paraphrase Mabel's thoughts this way. She would say, I do not understand. Here's a quote. I do not understand what God is up to all the time. Now, in that, in that sentence there, I want you to hear, I do not understand, meaning she's unaware That was point number three of anger and fear and ignorance. I do not understand. So she has pockets of ignorance in her relationship with God. She says, I do not understand what God is up to all the time. There is disappointment there in the sentence as well. Disappointment is a manifestation of anger. And so we see traces of ignorance and traces of anger just in that one sentence that she made. She went on to say, sometimes I wonder if he is really good. There is ignorance again. I wonder. I don't know if he is good. 
You could say our son was standing on the communion table, and I don't know if you are good. Well, that's going to put a pause in his soul. That's going to cripple his faith. And so in two sentences, we hear two statements of ignorance and one statement of anger. And then Mabel goes on to say, when I get like this, I tend to default to my understanding. When you get like what? When I am afraid, when I am uncertain. What she's saying here is that I am afraid that this is not going to turn out how I want. And so there's two statements of ignorance, one statement of anger, and one statement of fear. She says, I tend to default to my understanding of what God good is by taking matters into my hands. God won't come through, but I can. And that is a statement of anger there, of disappointment or frustration in God. And so as you listen to what she is really saying, that she has some real issues with God, and because she does, I mean, there are uh, uh, unawareness, anger, unawareness, afraid, and anger. There's five statements there that fit that three threefold faith killer. I won't trust God if I'm angry. I won't t- trust God if I'm afraid. I won't trust God if I do do not know Him or ignorance. Well, five times in those few sentences, she mentioned those things. If our son had not trusted me and chosen to stay on the table, he would have relied on his own understanding of and the solution to the problem. The table he was standing on was what he had faith in. The scary thing for him would be a leap into his daddy's arms. Therefore, the choice to do it his way, code, self-sufficiency, would have been a decision to rely on his sufficiency rather than his father's. And from this grounded assumption, I began to explore with Mabel the reason why she had a lack in faith, a lack of faith in God. But firstly, she had to understand that Biff was an essential but secondary issue, and this is where you want to be careful. Because again, she's coming in here saying, help, my marriage is cold. And so the implication there is that, well, this is an external problem with her marriage. You can also read in there that the problem is, at, at least if not mostly, with my spouse. And then she begins to talk about the pornography issue. And if you're not careful, I mean, those things need to be dealt with, but you're just going to hang out on the surface. And there are so many things that we're teasing out here as we work through this case study. And so when I say that Biff is essential, but a secondary issue, you might not say that aloud to Mabel, or you want to carefully caveat it as you say it, to Mabel because you don't want her to think that that is unimportant, but you really do have to make us a strong case for her uh, improper theology. And out of that improper theology flows a construct, an orthopraxy that is self-sufficiency, self-reliance. And so I don't want to diminish Biff's role in the chaos of the marriage. But Mabel has to know that the main problem is with her long-standing diminutive relationship with God. It is with her theology. Mabel's sin pattern of self-sufficiency, which the way that she 
satiates that is with this need deficit theory, which I've been talking about in previous chapters. And so the way that she satiates her self-sufficiency is by creating these morphed metastasized needs and then mapping that over uh, what she expects Biff to do for her because God will not do that for her. And so if you're going to rely on self-sufficiency, then the methodology and the mechanisms that you use to accomplish your self-sufficiency of course, that's going to be wrong, which is why I've spent so much time talking about her need deficit theory. This has been a dominating issue in her life. Her self-reliance manifested when she chose not to trust God at a particular moment. Now, she has a history of this. She's been self-reliant most of her life. She prefers to take matters into her own hands to control the situation, and make the decision that is suited to whatever the craving may be. This process is what happened when she and Biff were courting. They had dated for two years. She talked about it. And you can kind of tell where this is going to go. There were signs that things were not right. And we talked about that in the past. But at 28, she felt it was too late to start over again. And so here comes that self-sufficiency creeping up. Here is part of her reasoning as she explained it to me. There's like four, four things that she said here. She wasn't sure how long it would take to find another guy. And so there's fear motivation there. Now, that fear is tied to her theology. She was not trusting God. And so now fear is driving her heart. Number two, she wasn't sure if there would be another guy. There is fear again. And so she wasn't sure how long it would take to find another guy if she broke up with Biff. She also wasn't sure if there would ever be another guy if she broke up with Biff. Number three. She didn't want to wait to find another guy and go through the dating process again. Her cravings for love were driving her because of a deficiency relationship, a deficient relationship with God, as I explained in the last chapter. And then number four, she says she was also concerned about what others thought. I mean, why break up with Biff? They would say. You make such a cute couple. And this is one of the problems with our peer-to-peer -peer relationships when they see two people together. They do egg us on. And in a vacuum, there's nothing wrong with that. But if our understanding of people is just that shallow and just that superficial, uh, we could be applauding their idolatry. We could be fueling their idolatry, which is what was happening with Biff and Mabel. She later said that even as I walked down the aisle looking at Biff, I knew he was not the right guy. But what was I to do after the waiting, after the wedding, uh, after the waiting, and then two years of dating, and then the plans for the wedding, and the expectations from friends, and the family. There I was, not at peace. I felt God would make it right. Here is presumption on God's grace. In Psalm 19, it says, do not presume, do not take God's grace for granted, but she was doing it. He hasn't changed. God hasn't made things right. Here's this anger coming out again, and I'm pretty upset about it. And so you see fear 
and anger and ignorance just all over Mabel's life in so many places that it's been iterated here in this short chapter from the book, Help, My Marriage Has Grown Cold. So she chose her version of good rather than trusting God's good. She chose this tertiary relationship, this tertiary solution, which was a relationship with Biff. Her choice spoke more about an issue between her and God than anything else. And that's why I keep driving back to her theology, not dismissing what is going on out here at the marital level above ground. But this theological breakdown is what I had to explore, and she had to come to these conclusions. She needed to see this. There was something about God that she did not like, that she did not care for, or there was something about God that she was not satisfied with leading to her diminutive faith. She had been unwilling to jump into her daddy's arms and let him decide. So she decided, born out of fear, born out of ignorance, and born out of this low-grade anger and discontentment that she had with the Lord. This is chapter 5 of my book, Help! My Marriage Has Grown Cold. This chapter is the self-sufficient soul. In the next chapter, I'm going to get into these faith killers of anger and fear and ignorance. And I want to unpack those because it's essential that we understand these things if we're going to help. Now, you can look at this article here. And you will see all nine chapters linked. So if you don't want to get the free book in the store, Help My Marriage Has Grown Cold, you can actually go in chapter five. This article is titled The Self-Sufficient Soul. And right at the top, there'll be a podcast for this chapter. There'll be a video for this chapter. But it'll also be all nine chapters linked. And every chapter, all nine of them have nine links in them. So it doesn't matter which chapter you land on. You can click through and you can read any of them and all of them right from the website or you can get the book. I would encourage you, in addition to getting the book, perhaps listening to the podcast or watching the videos, because again, I'm explaining a lot more than just doing a straight read of the chapter. All right, chapter five, The Self-Sufficient Soul. I have a few questions, and then we will uh, wrap up. Four of them all together. And by the way, I've been adding four questions to every chapter, so that is 36 questions all together. Uh, for the nine chapters. Of course, chapter nine is homework assignments and projects, and so there's going to be a ton more once we get to chapter nine. Question number one here in chapter five, what is self-sufficiency? You need a working definition of it. I've explored a little bit of it here. I'll do more in chapter six. Question two, how does self-sufficiency manifest in your life? And so now you look in the mirror and you think about those three faith killers of anger, fear, and ignorance. How does, and I'm talking about toward God, by the way, how does anger toward God, fear of God, 
ignorance of God play out or motivate you to a self-reliant lifestyle. And you really have to understand that when I say anger at God, because we are civilized Christians, uh, we would say, no, I'm not angry at God. But that's why I use synonyms earlier here. I said discontentment. That is a manifestation of anger. Discouragement is a manifestation of anger. And frustration, for example, is a manifestation of anger. And there are many more. And that's why I would use these synonyms because I want the the hearer or the reader to understand uh, that when we say anger, we can kind of repel, we can kind of back up from that and say, well, that's not true, when in reality it is. I I believe that many Christians, if not most, live with a low-grade anger in their lives, and we never see it spiking hardly at all. Or maybe we do, and then we say, well, where did that come from? It's been running underneath the surface of their lives forever because there's a lot of disappointed people. There's a lot of discontented Christians. And again, that's just a manifestation of anger. And when that anger is under our lives, we're going to stand on that communion table with our arms crossed and we're not going to trust God, but we're going to rely on ourselves. The question number two, how does self-sufficiency manifest in your life? Number three, why do you not trust God in your sanctification when thinking about your self-reliance? And so if it manifests in your life, then the next obvious question is, well, what is your problem with God? There's obviously an issue with God. If our son had not jumped off that communion table but would have stayed put looking at me, uh, everybody in the room would be asking, wow, there's an issue there between him and his dad. There's something going on between him and his father. And if we're going to stand on our communion tables relying on ourselves, either because we're frustrated or discontented with God, disappointed with God. We're afraid of what He may do, where He may take us, what this may cost. We're afraid of God. Or we just don't understand God the way that we should because we have a deficient theology. I, any of those three uh, would keep us on that table. And so the question is, why do you not trust God in your sanctification when thinking about your self-reliance? And then finally, number four, What other areas do you suspect Mabel would have difficulty trusting God? She didn't trust God in her dating relationship and eventual marriage to Biff. And so this is a call for biblical speculation. may or may not be true, but we do this a lot in our Mastermind program. We ask our students to be biblically speculative because we, I want to see their peripheral vision. I, I want to see their depth of and breadth of understanding of psych, uh, psychological problems, soul problems is what word psychology means, the study of the soul. And so I want to see the breadth of their understanding of psychological problems. So this is an opportunity to biblically speculate. And if you're in a small group or in a discipleship context as you're working through this book, then this would be a good question just to speculate in what other areas where she's not trusting. God, because what you're going to find, if we're not trusting God in one area, then that's going to be a pattern that's going to fan out into other areas of our lives as well. And you really want to think comprehensively about that, because if you're going to help Mabel, you need to understand that fanning process, because self-sufficiency is not going to be that neat or that compliant just to manage you in one area of your life. No, you'll be self-sufficient or self-reliant 
in virtually all areas of your life too. Chapter 5, The Self-Sufficient Soul, is from the nine-chapter book, Help My Marriage Has Grown Cold. Please go to lifeovercoffee.com, get in our store, get that free download, enjoy it, and share it with a friend. Thanks so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com. 